Hi everyone, welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across Southeast Asia. I'm your host, Amrita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and open banking fintech, Broncos. In this episode, we talk with Dave Rouse, co-founder and CEO of New Zealand-based CarbonClick. We hear about Dave's journey from pilot to green tech, joining CarbonClick after hearing the team's carbon offsetting pitch and the convergence of fintech and green tech in Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia. CarbonClick is a green fintech, and they raised their seed round in October of 2020. You can learn more about them by visiting carbonclick.com. And now a word from our sponsors. My name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular apixplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex, which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform and we are very happy to collaborate with the green room it's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the green room brings to you as a a knowledge sharing base you can find out more about apex on apexplatform.com and you can find out more about oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels keynotes uh, master classes that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Now I am super excited to introduce our guest, uh, Dave Rouse, co-founder and CEO of CarbonClick. Dave, How are you? Today. Great, great. Thank you so much for joining us. So Dave, let's, let's jump right in. Um, I want to talk about you, but I also want all of us to be on the same page. I obviously know what fintech is, financial technology, and I sort of know what green tech is, like saving the planet. But today we're talking about green fintech or sustainable finance. What does that actually mean? Well, <laughs> what kind of what the name alludes to, it's the, the financial markets uh, which could, uh, could extend from uh, listed issuers, registered banks, um, licensed issuers, managers of uh, investment schemes, and what it means is that any of the um, investments and financial work in that space actually doesn't just take into account uh, returns and interest calculations um, and financial considerations. It actually takes into account the wider environmental impact of that financial um, investment or those financial transactions or that financial methodology. So, so it's getting towards this triple bottom line um, profitability and measurements um, and accounting standards. Got it. So it's about um, taking taking a normal any any business, especially any financial business, and then applying kind of a green lens to it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Or expanding the scope on what you're measurement what you're measuring um, and what you're reporting on to include wider considerations. So, you know, if, a, if, a, um, if an investment fund is um, investing in uh, oil and the growth in oil prices as part of that 
they may they may actually be part of the problem rather than part of the solution to climate change if they start reporting on the impacts that that's got uh, by supporting that industry and investing in that industry, the impact that that has on uh, the wider environment versus uh, investing in clean energy technologies um, where they could redeploy those funds and. They may not have the same, quite the same financial returns, but by the time they add the green lens on it um, and say, hang on, the total impact is going to be significantly better for the next generation um, than just uh, growth in the value of our fund, uh, that, that's something that they can actually report on. So our fund is performing at this level, plus it's having this environmental impact or having this positive environmental benefit. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And, and who, you know, there are so many ways that you could go about, you know, saving the world um, and, and focusing on climate change. What, how did you decide that climate change, especially green finance, is the problem that you wanted to focus on? Well, I've, I've been uh, active as an investor and a philanthropist for quite uh, maybe five or six years now. Um, I had previously bought and sold businesses and applied triple bottom line profitability metrics to all of those businesses and then uh, took it up a level to invest in others and particularly try and help um, the startup space. And some common threads started appearing there and one of those threads was around uh, single-use plastics and the issue that that's having in our wider environment. And the other thread that was emerging, which I didn't understand until a few years ago, was um, our greenhouse gas uh, emissions and greenhouse gas inventory. So I started digging a little deeper into this and realised that, uh, you know, something that Obama said in his, uh, in his departing speech was, you know, we're the last generation, um, we're the first generation to feel the impacts of climate change and the last generation to have the opportunity to do something about it. And, and that really resonated with me as well. So I started looking at how, how can we uh, fix this problem on a um, macro scale? Um, and, and that's where investment opportunities like CarbonClick came, came into things. How do we fix what's wrong with um, people not um, offsetting their carbon, reducing their footprint. How do we how do we get everyday people as easily as possible to address this? And that comes through green finance. It comes through credit card reward schemes that reward green purchases. It comes through um, loyalty schemes that uh, that reward um, green activities and and actually create offsets instead of uh, another free product that you possibly don't need. Um, so I figured this is a pretty good way to be able to influence the masses uh, using some key uh, influential and forward-thinking financial institutions. Got it. So you came to Carbon Click as an investor, or yeah, originally. So uh, the okay. team was still uh, working for an international airline when they pitched at an accelerator, a very young stage um, concept. And they were looking for uh, pre-seed investment to prototype their idea. They'd built the carbon offsets calculator and module for this airline, and they had a whole lot of feedback from users that didn't trust carbon offsetting um, and didn't trust what the airlines were doing with that money. So they set about to fix that trust and transparency problem in offsetting. And, and that really resonated with me because... 
it's just, it seems like such a simple thing to fix, but it stops so many people from participating that these are the barriers that, that can change the world. If we, if we bulldoze these barriers and make it easy and trustworthy for people to participate, then we've solved, solved a problem. Um, and when we can solve a problem, uh, that's when we can bring about change. So I'd approached it as an investor and I, I totally fell in love with the, the team as they were um, starting to prototype. Um, they asked me would I come on board as a CEO um, and lead them from a commercial perspective, at least for the first few years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just took that opportunity with open arms. And so, so here I am uh, nearly two years in since we, uh, since we first registered the business. Yeah, wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Um, what a cool opportunity as an investor to then you know, like be able to really get your hands dirty in the thing that you, uh, you know, the, the impact that you're trying to make. That's awesome. Let's let's talk more about CarbonClick um, because I think the company's vision is to be the uh, the offset button of choice for the global fintech market. Um, maybe you talked you you mentioned carbon offsets offsets a few times. Let's dig into that. What can you explain how they work and really how they can impact climate change? Yeah, absolutely. So carbon offsets can be one of two things. They can be a reduction of emissions or they can be something that absorbs those emissions. So we call that sequestration. So reduction of emissions might be where you're um, sponsoring the replacement of a diesel power plant um, or generator for a town with a wind farm. Now that, that might be uneconomic or only mildly economic but not enough to make the transition. Um, perhaps it's an area that has cheap coal or an area that has you know, cheap fuel available so it doesn't make financial sense for them to make that switch. But you've got a, a, a price there um, which you can fund through carbon offsets. And that's, sometimes that can be quite cheap because they don't need much of a jump to make that project a feasible project with a 10-year payback. Um, sometimes it's a huge jump, but there might be wider social benefits as well, such as reduced lung cancer rates and things in some of these um, areas. So you look at not just the carbon component, but the wider social impact component as well. And then on the sequestration side of things, you can plant trees or seaweeds or... Um, uh, other, other plant materials that actually absorb carbon from the atmosphere and sequester it. Uh, they store it in the woody root structure and uh, eventually that, you know, that becomes a massive carbon underground. You can also have sustainable farming practices where um, the biomass is sequestered into the soil instead of soils uh, being tilled more regularly. So, um, so there's basically the planting of trees and conserving of, of trees or nurturing them to grow is a really effective way to do this. And again, just like there are social benefits that you can add on in the sequestration side of things, in the, in the tree planting basically, um, there are other benefits as well like biodiversity. So we look at whether those credits actually preserve biodiversity, enhance biodiversity, we don't like monocrop, for example, because if you just go and plant a whole lot of pine, um, that's not a resilient crop to climate change. You know, you look at the forest fires, all we're doing is creating another set of fuel for forest fires in 30 years' time. But if you have a diverse um, ecosystem that works naturally, um, that's, that becomes more 
resilient to climate change. So we're looking at not only sequestration now, but we're looking at what's going to help the next generation and the next generation um, beyond this. So, yeah, so, so effectively you measure, you drive your car, um, you know, maybe 100 kilometres and that might use 10 litres of fuel, that might emit 25 kilos of CO2 into the atmosphere. You can sequester that um, by, you know, that's about what one tree will grow in one year. So all you're doing is purchasing the carbon credits or sponsoring one tree for one year um, of nurturing to offset the activity that you're having that actually causes the, the problem in the first place. We, we can't just offset either. We have to be reducing and focusing on minimising uh, first and then offsetting what can't be reduced as a secondary step. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I, read, I was reading around the Carbon Cliff website, and it looks like you have offsetting projects in almost 40 countries all over the world. How, and, and you alluded to this a little bit, but how do you actually decide which offsetting projects you should be pursuing? So there are three criteria. One is the, the carbon value. So for every dollar that we spend, how much carbon can we draw down from the atmosphere? Um, and where is that dollar going to have the most impact? Because we all breathe from the same climate, from the same air, the, you know, um, the air that you're breathing in Southeast Asia is the same air that circulates to New Zealand, it's the same air that circulates to the UK. So how can we draw down CO2 from this atmosphere and fix the problem at a macro level? Um, then we look at um, the secondary benefits, so social impact and biodiversity benefits that we bring to the whole planet. And then the third thing that we look at is localization and how do we connect people to these projects. And this is why we have projects all over the world, is that in the areas that people are offsetting, it helps to build the connection to something they can relate to, something that's in their own backyard, something that they can feel that connection to, and perhaps in you know in years to come, a forest that they can walk through. Um, let's talk a little bit about your customers. Um, you know, it, I think there are a lot of people that certainly who look like us, maybe millennials, Gen Z with disposable income, who are interested in uh, Carbon Click's little green button, but. Is that true? Is that, is that your only customer base? Um, what do some of your customers look like? And do you think that they look a little bit different, your customers in New Zealand uh, look a little bit different than your customers maybe in other regions? Um, to a degree, you've, you've stereotyped it fairly well. So <laughs> there's, there's a natural bell curve and, and the spikers with the millennials, Gen Zs, that are now coming into a, a spend cycle where they've, uh, they've, they're a little more affluent, they've got, um, they've got money and they're talking with their wallets. So they're choosing companies, um, they're choosing banks, they're choosing investments that uh, are more considered from an environmental perspective. And so our, our, our customers are actually uh, the suppliers that have goods, services or, or financial products to sell to these uh, millennials through to Gen Zs. Um, so, so our customers may still be um, the, the earlier generation who are actually still controlling um, financial institutions or loyalty schemes or credit cards or uh, airlines or airports, for example. But 
uh, ultimately the the end users of our products or the end beneficiaries are those uh, millennials to Gen Zs who who really care about uh, what life looks like in 20 or 30 years' time. Got it. And and so and you think that those consumers are pretty much the same, uh, whether it's in New Zealand or Southeast Asia or in the U.S. or Europe. Is it pretty much that everybody fits that same profile? It's it's very similar from an age demographic. I mean, that's not to say that you know we've got uh, some of our investors are in their late seventies and they really believe in this and they want to leave a legacy behind. Um, and and like me, they never understood climate change until very recently. They never thought it was an issue and, and now they've realised and, and actually want to do something about it and maybe their board members sitting on the board that actually want to leave something positive behind as well. So so there are a number of leaders in the older generations who are taking active steps here and, and these are probably the, the most senior people that we're working with. Yeah. Uh, but what we see more than an age demographic is a geographical um, demographic spread. So, for example, in the western states of uh, California, Washington State, um, sorry, western states of USA, like California, Washington State, Oregon, even up in Canada and in British Columbia, and in fact Canada-wide to a large degree as well, um, we see a, a real spike in activity. So... This is where a lot of the uh, fashionable surfy brands come from, and yeah. um, and there's a real awareness. And I think some leaders um, that that all generations look up to, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, for example, uh, when he was mayor of California with the environmental standards that he helped to build on, um, it, it, it's it reduced that barrier of um, greenies and hippies versus everybody else, and yeah. and it everybody onto the same page because even the most um, you know uh, redneck kind of uh, kind of person that you know is just a petrol head or something you know uh, they listen to Arnold and you know we all watched his his um, movies when we were younger and and that's somebody that you can relate to so you actually listen to him consider that and, and he's had a massive impact on some of those generations that wouldn't have responded to you know, a happy standing up and saying, hey, you guys have got to do this. So so I think it's some of these leaders that have uh, changed tact and uh, seen the error of the earlier ways and, and turned responsible that have, we're very grateful, I'm very grateful that they've actually managed to get a significant amount of change. But coming back to my, uh, my answer there, geographically would be the biggest um, spread where we can see hotspots in the world where there is big demand for change, and other places in the world where there is a rising rate of change, China, for example, um, is massively um, advancing. They're still probably 10 years behind where New Zealand is in the, in the cycle of sustainability, but they're, they're advancing much quicker than any other nation that I can see right now. Got it. Got it. And how, I guess, you know, since we're talking about it, how does Southeast Asia fit into that? I mean, obviously, different parts of Southeast Asia, different countries look very different. I'm sitting in Singapore. Um, you know, what what are your consumers, are there differences in markets that you're seeing, or is does all of Southeast Asia kind of operate the same way? Yeah, very, very different uh, from one market to another. Um, Singapore is very mature. Uh, for example, in the, in the sustainability and green finance space, you've got um, Monetary Authority of Singapore and Singapore FinTech Festivals and all that with a, a strong focus on this. 
So that, I would see a lot of leadership in this this part of the world. Um, but, but similarly, you've got um, in Thailand, for example, you've got both from the millennial generations who are looking at the smog problems that they had, you know, 18 months ago where they had to close schools through to the, um, uh, the leaders of those nations saying, hey, we've got to do something about this problem. Pollution and uh, greenhouse gas emissions are kind of one, of the, one and the same. Um, if you fix one, you fix the other. So no matter what perspective they're approaching it from, there is a lot of leadership happening um, and a lot of uh, generational pull for this to happen. But, but this is dictated by who's spending the money, right? And if, if generations of people are spending money in more sustainable ways, that forces every business to have to shift its focus to, to meet that demand. Otherwise, the businesses are just getting left behind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I um, I want to come back to the point around, you know, maybe differences in Southeast Asia, especially Singapore, um, a little bit later, uh, especially kind of on the, on the policy side. But maybe I, I realized we didn't actually talk about what Carbon Click does. And, you know, when you talk about your consumers, you talk about two types of consumers. One type of consumer being, you know, like millennials, Gen Z, disposable income, anywhere in the world. But the other is, you know, potentially political or business leaders. And that kind of goes along with the Carbon Click product. You have a B2B side and a B2C side. Can you tell us about, you know, how, how each of those sides work? Yeah, absolutely. So on a, on a B2B side, a business might want to um, themselves uh, reduce the carbon footprint and offset what can't be reduced. So that's, that's pretty easy. Um, it's a calculation. Uh, we work alongside their consultants, their sustainability consultants, and we provide really good quality, high-value offsets um, to offset what can't be reduced. Um, we also have programs in place, for example, we, in fact, one we're just about to release, which is for staff, so that it's called Climate Friendly Teams, and a business can actually subscribe their own teams to be able to uh, log in, run a 60-second calculator. This is super simple, the world's fastest carbon offset, uh, carbon impact calculator. Um, yeah. And my grandma can use this. Every team member can understand what their footprint is, and they can track it over time. And the business has the option to sponsor offsets as well. So the business might sponsor 80% of the average person's carbon footprint, and everybody has the opportunity to reduce their footprint down to meet that. So the business has, through Carbon Click, the opportunity to help people reduce their impact, learn about their impact, and actually offset it so that they can be carbon neutral citizens as a result of working for that uh, business. And this is something that um, particularly millennials are really attracted to. Um, it's, it's more value than one hour a month worth of pay rise for them to be able to um, say that they're carbon neutral as a result of working for this company. And it shows the company's actually taking measurable steps to help them reduce their footprint. Um, but... Uh, aside from that, the other area is on products. So um, every product has a carbon footprint, whether it's a bottle of wine, a pair of shoes, or a, a um, packet of vitamins, or a, a pair of jeans. So with that carbon footprint, we can actually offset at a product level so that a business can label that product climate-friendly or climate-positive. Um, and we've had a brand called Constellation Brands. They own Corona Beer, 
um, and a few others in the US uh, trial this with a product uh, called um, Round Theory Wine. And this is a very low-carbon wine product, and they double offset the footprint of it. So every time you're drinking a bottle, you're actually offsetting a, the footprint of a bottle that you've drunk in the past as well. And that's, that's been the most successful launch of um, a product in recent years into, um, into the New Zealand market, and they, they're busy expanding that into other markets as well. So that's, that's the product level of business, uh, business to business. And then you have the business to consumer or B2B to C where a business might be selling goods online. And this is where we provide a little green button which integrates into their e-commerce store and customers can offset at the point of sale. And that can either be a measured offset if they know the carbon footprint of those products or if they don't, which most don't, um, it can just be a generic offset so that consumers uh, who know, hey, I've got a bit of a carbon footprint problem every time I'm buying something online, I'm contributing to it, here's a green button I can click that does some good to to point me in the right direction towards the solution rather than being part of the problem. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's something that we can either do by custom integration, like with airlines onto their booking platforms or airports through the Wi-Fi, um, but it's also something that um, we can, we've got plugins from Magento, WooCommerce, and Shopify that they can simply turn on in their stores. Oh, wow. That's really cool. So I'm just at checkout, uh, you know, on Shopify, and I'm, you know, about to put in my credit card info, and I just see the little green button right there. Yep, and it's just one click. And then the beauty, the beauty behind that is it's, it doesn't distract you from the purchase because it's just one click, but after the click, um, happens um, and the purchase is completed, we actually send a transparency receipt, which is a track and trace receipt independently from Carbon Click to that client saying, here's your offset, thanks for supporting this, here are the projects it's gone to, um, here's your track and trace, so you can actually see your $2 or $1, whatever the amount is, has actually reached that project and you can learn wow. about it. So, and it's totally transparent and totally auditable. Um, just like track and trace on a courier, we've done the same for carbon offsetting. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really cool. And those are honestly like offsetting projects that consumers like you and me may not otherwise have access to. Um, you know, I wouldn't even know as a consumer how I would access uh, an offsetting program without going through some intermediary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we do have subscriptions and, and purchase offset options on our website and that, which is incidental, but that's not really what our core focus is. It's mainly about helping businesses that have an e-commerce uh, store, businesses that have a product that they want to go climate friendly, or just businesses that want to stand up and, and help their team um, become more sustainable. Yeah, yeah. What about, you know, specifically like banking or fintech products? I mean, is there a different way that you would integrate with those products uh, than the yeah. platform? Yeah, absolutely. So for um, loyalty programs, um, we've got a number in the pipeline and one that's actually gone live, um, which is the largest loyalty program here in New Zealand. It's called AA Smart Fuels. So this was a program um, that's been around for a long time and it allows people when they're shopping at the supermarket or at the petrol station to, um, or a number of hundreds of retailers actually, to accumulate those points into fuel discounts. Um, now, 
they don't want to be part of the problem of encouraging people to burn more fuel. They actually want to be part of the solution and encourage people into EVs and things. So, um, so what they've done is they've partnered with Carbon Cliff so that the rewards can be um, carbon offsets as rewards. So when you're shopping, you've got an impact from your groceries that you're purchasing. You can be offsetting as your um, as you're shopping, even when you do fill up with fuel that you can't, you know, you might not be able to afford an electric vehicle yet, or you might have lease remaining on your petrol vehicle to use up first. Um, at least you can offset um, at the pump just by swiping your card, and your rewards instead of being a, a small discount become carbon offsets, the equivalent of your fuel purchase. So, so that's that's been really popular. We've had better than estimated uptake of that program, um, and. Then the other ones that are in the progress are with visa and loyalty rewards programs where um, at a statement level a consumer can offset their spend. And this can be based on a law of averages. Somebody that spends um, 10 grand a year on their, on their credit card has a carbon footprint of roughly 10 tonnes and somebody that spends 20 grand has a carbon footprint of roughly 20 tonnes. So we can actually align those offsets so that instead of getting credit card rewards, you, you can have offsets. So just by using that as a credit card, or the green card we call it, um, you, you're actually offsetting as you spend as well. So that's that's something, these are really long sales cycles with traditional banks. Um, yeah, so, so none are going to be live at least for six months yet with the ones mm-hmm. we're working with. Um, but, but that's certainly something I'm really excited about, and it's an opportunity to have massive impact across a large number of um, uh, individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really cool, uh, I think, especially on the banking side. Um, I guess, have you seen any, what are like the biggest challenges you, you see when you're working with big banks or fintech companies in, in terms of you know, how they approach the product or even, even uh, green tech, green finance, for that matter? Um, a lot of it is is still very old fashioned. So there's some there might be some mover shakers in the organisation, but those mover shakers are still battling a, um, a a process internally, which takes a long time to get change uh, across the line. And this is where you know neo banks are starting to pop up and do really really well because they can act in a very agile manner, like a startup can. Um, they, they're still regulated, they still have to abide by certain rules, but with things like uh, carbon offsets as a reward program, they can literally spool this up over a number of months rather than over a number of years. And, and I think, again, for the, for the younger generations in particular, um, they'll be talking with their wallets. And, and if the neobanks get out with this technology faster than the main banks, um, It'll just it'll be the the demise of some of these um, more institutional banks that uh, are there and relying on uh, customers not migrating away from them because they've been with them for forty years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a that's really interesting. I mean, and this is this is assuming that the customer base is really keen on having an offsetting product, uh, and, and we've talked about right. That's that's like yeah. a core. Yes, certainly, and there, there are already car, some cards out of Sweden. Uh, um, I forget which bank it is off the top of my head, but um, 
there are banks like the, there's the carbon card already there, which is a measurement tool that, um, that limits your spend based on carbon footprints, based on merchant category code. Uh, again, it's based on a law of gross averages, but this, this is the technology and the direction that people are heading in, and, and they've had huge uptake uh, in that card versus other new cards to the market. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, you know, I think there are probably still some skeptics out there that would say that fintech is actually still at odds with with your little green button, right? Um, a lot of payment providers, payment fintechs, their whole their whole mission is around reducing transaction costs or reducing uh, the cost of, of engaging in the financial system. But Carbon Click is effectively saying, let's increase the transaction costs, um, asking people to pay a little bit more, obviously for a good cause. Um, but do you do you find that fintech providers challenge that? Um, what's in it for fintech providers, maybe beyond uh, having a customer base that is inherently motivated to save the planet? The, the advantage from them is it's another add-on that their customer can can select or not select. So it's another string to their bow. So if if we um, took a company like Afterpay, for example, and, and they said hey, look, we're now offering carbon offsets at our checkout um, through a little green button. This is just an option when the vendor's setting up the Afterpay account. They can toggle that on. Yes, I'd like uh, to include a carbon offset option at the point of sale. Um, and, and that would be something that might be a, um, a benefit that they can provide that other providers can't yet provide. Um, so it's, I, I guess, an additional feature that can be uh, offered. So then businesses that are saying, hey, look, our customers care about this. We want to reduce our footprint and we want to offer offsets to um, mm-hmm. offset what we can't reduce. That's, that's going to benefit those fintech providers. Um, well, we hope that's going to benefit those fintech providers. We're actually not in dialogue with any of them just yet, but, um, but that's part of our strategy moving forward. Got it, got it. How many, have any companies decided to make carbon click Click opt out instead of opt in for their customers. I love this question. We've we've actually been uh, toying with this with um, with a fairly significant sized company that um, in the US that's that's just come to us and they've said that they've said look um, we're not entirely sure whether there are legal implications with this or not, but uh, we want to make this an opt out rather than an opt in. And, and lead by it's a logistics company um, that has a, a freight product at the um, point of sale for selecting shipping options, um, and they, they want to offer offsets at that point. So I'm pretty excited to see where that could could go. Given that the actual vendor is not benefiting from this, uh, the vendor is just enabling it for their market. It should be something that uh, gets around any legal implications of making it an opt-out because mm-hmm. the vendor's not actually benefiting from it. The vendor's just trying to contribute to the solution of climate change. Um, and, and I don't think we'll see any uh, issues with that, but we're pending legal advice on that right now. Yeah, that's really cool. And, and it sort of, that means the whole company is like actually making a stance, not necessarily up to the customer. It's really, there's probably a little bit of shame involved there if you're going to opt out, right? Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> and you, you can't simply put an opt-out button if that company's doing nothing itself. Like, that company has to be able to say, hey, here's what we're doing to reduce our mm-hmm. footprint, and here's our plan for the future to bring it to zero over 10 years. 
but here's what you can do to offset what we haven't yet been able to reduce competitively. Um, and there's just a button that you can, or here's the button that we've selected for you. Um, if you don't want to do this, then just click opt out. And, and then yeah. you get this strange thing like, oh shit, this company that I'm working with is already doing all these cool things. There is still a footprint. We don't have electric ships yet. We don't have electric planes yet delivering my goods. Um, mm-hmm. I know I have a footprint if I want that, that pair of jeans. Um, yeah. so yes, I can do my part as well. It's like a virtuous cycle. Uh, you know, the customer vendor, customer vendor, everyone continues to do their part. So that's that's a really nice way of putting it. Does Carbon Click plan to integrate with physical point of sale systems? In the U.S., it is common for some POS terminals to prompt a consumer to donate a small amount to charity. I think this is, you know, I see this in Singapore for sure. Um, yeah, how, how does it integrate with physical POS? Yeah, so we've we've spoken with Toast, uh, sorry, with Vend, and we're looking at. Um, uh, POS systems like Toast, the, um, which are you know new, new systems rather than the old terminal type systems, um, but we do actually have a prototype terminal as well, um, which we've which we've put together for for some testing in New Zealand just to get that market feedback and, and start collecting that data. Problem with the physical terminals is that there are so many models there and they cost so much um, to. To actually build the application for each model, even though our back end stays the same, um, it's a slow and expensive process to cover all of the models that we would need. Uh, we may be able to do this with a retailer like McDonald's, for example, um, where we could run this across, where they've got consistency of terminals across all, all of their um, chains, um, and, and then it might be economically viable, but it's certainly something that we're looking at. Um, and then the, the more electronic um, servers, the vendors and toasts of the world would make good sense for us in that space, yes. Yeah. Um, one, I mean, you know, this is leading me to think about, you know, some of the other physical challenges, especially that we see in Southeast Asia, where we have many more like cash-based economies. Um, you know, if someone is living in a cash-based economy, what are the opportunities there for someone to contribute to carbon offsetting? The, the opportunities there come into the product level. So if the business is building offsets into the products, um, it, it's really difficult at a cash level because we have no control over the traceability and the reporting. Um, and, and that's what we're founded on. Uh, the fact that we're moving more and more electronic gives us that opportunity to build trust and transparency to carbon offsets. So uh, I can't see a world where we would be able to offer that in the cash economy. Got it. So the faster that fintech moves, the faster the green fintechs move. Uh, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Got it. Got it. Well, um, Dave, let's um, maybe zoom out a little bit, kind of going back to that point around uh, kind of the macro level around what's happening in Australia, New Zealand, and then and then Southeast Asia. Um, you know, Southeast Asia, I live in Singapore, but Southeast Asia generally is quite nascent in the in the green fintech space. Um, some countries, you know, we were talking before, like the Philippines uh, and Indonesia, have been lauded as leaders in, in green finance due to major investments in sustainable projects. Um, other countries are just beginning to focus on green finance, mostly through like central bank policies and incentives. Um, in Singapore, where I am now, uh, you know, the government, MAS, as, as we talked about a little bit before, um, they are they are taking a number of steps to promote green finance. Um, 
just to rattle off a few here for our audience, um, you know, in 2019, they announced a green finance action plan. Um, there's a subcommittee that works on this as part of, uh, of MAS. Uh, there's something called Project Greenprint. Um, more recently, MAS announced uh, a global fintech accelerator, um, which I think like a hackathon um, in partnership with Oliver Wyman. And even, even in, you know, the Singapore Fintech Fest in 2020, uh, Ravi Menon and a number of others spoke about green finance, especially creating an Asian carbon credit market uh, marketplace. So there's, you know, I think it's Singapore particularly, there's tons of opportunities for organizations that have green use cases um, or, or investment opportunities, uh, even research. But there's still a long, long way for Southeast Asia to go. Um, and as we talked about earlier, you know, my impression of Australia and New Zealand, um, New Zealand particularly, is that, you know, those countries are really advanced when it comes to green finance. Um, can you tell us about some of the government programs or even just culture and attitudes that, that really help people prioritize green tech and, and green finance? Yeah, yeah. So New Zealand, I guess, um, as a nation, is probably similar in our average attitude um, towards uh, environmental concerns as nations like Canada. Um, and we we certainly are, um, are reflected in our government and the actions that our government are taking in this space as well. Um, for, so, for example, New Zealand is the first um, country in the world that the government has um, a policy implementation to report greenhouse gas impact in investments. So uh, they have to report on, or all financial organisations have to disclose and take action on um, climate-related risks. So if, if you're a bank and you're banking a big organisation, maybe an agro-sector organisation um, where you've got a huge carbon footprint from the beef and dairy industry, for example, uh, mm-hmm. you've got to report that. So people investing in that bank are disclosed, hey, this is the where the bank is spending its money. So that has a flow-on effect of the bank having to ask for reporting from um, from everybody that's invested in or lent money into, which which in turn drives change because it drives a uh, an under probably an underlying um, requirement once you start reporting to actually have to start reducing as well, especially when that uh, report that these uh, financial institutions are required to make doesn't look rosy. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it, that's, that's something that uh, I hope other uh, governments around the world will implement as well. Um, so these are uh, most financial institutions. Most listed issuers have to report on um, uh, emissions factors, climate-related risks. Uh, all registered banks have to, um, and even managers of investments schemes have to. So we have something KiwiSaver, which is like the, the pension mm-hmm. scheme. But they all have to report on this now. And and this is driving big change in New Zealand. Um, so I've got a lot of hope that this will, this will be reflected in other countries around the world shortly as well. Yeah, yeah. What about, I mean, the risk of greenwashing? I think uh, greenwashing, uh, maybe you can explain this better than I can, but uh, basically trying to um, say that something is green or sustainably 
uh, sourced or there's sustainable impact, but in fact, it's just a, uh, just a nice PR. Um, you know, is that, do you see that as a, as a risk, um, you know, having all of these reporting policies? Yeah, absolutely I do. Um, and, and this is something that's not, uh, not a problem that's new. It's neither is it a problem that's going to go away in the future. Um, and, and this is where we saw the need for that real transparency and, and deep traceability behind any good that's being done. Okay, let's prove it. Um, because even in the carbon offsetting world, there are good quality offsets and there are really poor quality offsets that are probably going to, you know, you've seen Bloomberg reporting a few, um, few weeks back um, on uh, one of the biggest carbon offset schemes in the US, which was a conservation of forest project, which was actually um, put into conservation six years earlier. And they've kind of double dipped by saying, hey, we're now going to covenant this area that was already earmarked conservation. Um, would that forest have been harvested and cut down? Uh, that, I don't think so. So that becomes a bit of double dipping and, and that, that's just the carbon offset version of this. But other companies that are either just purchasing offsets or just doing something small um, to say that they're environmentally sustainable, um, they're getting pulled over the coals for this. You look at big brands like H&M, um, I don't know if you've seen any of the Hassan Minaj series on Netflix, but, you know, if they if they spend 15% or so of their marketing budget on talking about how green they are and they spend less than 1% of their actual budget on greenification, that's, that's greenwashing and they've been called out for it. Um, other businesses might get away with it because they might spend you know, seven or eight percent of their budget on greenification and fifteen percent of their marketing budget telling the story about it. That's not so bad, um, but customers can see through it. And when you when you start taking the mickey, um, you, you start getting that backlash, and it's and it's deserved backlash as well. Yeah. How, I mean, as a consumer um, who, who cares about, you know, saving the environment and wants to, you know, work with companies that are legitimately, you know, furthering the goal of like climate change um, or stopping climate change. Um, you know, how would you know? Like, what is there like a threshold? Are there some key metrics that consumers can look for to say, OK, this company is just greenwashing and this company is actually holding itself to a much higher standard? Yeah, I think certifications are quite a good one uh, to look for. And the problem with some certifications even is that they're just a stamp. You look at the medals in the wine industry, for example, that are sponsored by the vineyard that gives itself medals. Um, there's nothing to stop that happening in the wider world. But if you, if you dig a little deeper and understand your products, they generally will speak for themselves um, when you look at the ingredient list on a packet or how much plastic packaging is involved in something that's supposedly from an environmentally sustainable company. Um, if they can tell the story about, you know, clothing and the dyes that they use and the, you know, even cotton, even organic cotton, have they done it using child labour or have they got, you know, some sort of trade aid certification behind them or at least a story that stacks up. Um, most decent-sized organisations can't get away with greenwashing for too long. Um, so, so reputable brands that have reputable stories and, um, 
and have have backup. They don't have people challenging that. That's usually a pretty good sign. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, well, so speaking of, I mean, there's, is there an easy way to see which merchants are using CarbonClick? Uh, as a consumer interested in carbon offsetting, it would be great to start from a list of merchants who I know offer this feature. Uh, again, another, sounds like another consumer who uh, wants to be responsible with their spending. Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because we've been trying to validate this uh, consumer marketplace. We do have it to a small degree, but it's not very well structured and it's not brought to the front and, um, and spotlighted through our website. But we do we do have a list of um, our merchants there. There's about 700 of them. Um, but what, what we need to do next is make it easy for you. Have a look at people in your area or sort by types of products that you want to uh, be shopping for. That's great. That's great. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that as well. Um, Dave, we only have a few minutes left, so I've been wanting to ask you this question since before we started. Um, but and it's a little bit irrelevant to Carbon Clip, but I wanted to ask, you actually started your career in as a pilot. Um, so I was wondering if there's anything from your piloting, piloting experience um, that you either use today as you're running Carbon Click or, or kind of influenced your journey to get there. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a total uh, petrol head, aviation nut. I used to race um, and I used to um, uh, fly planes and, um, and helicopters. Um, and it was handy in, in business when I started investing and buying and selling businesses because I could fly myself all over the place without really any uh, awareness of the carbon footprint behind it. Um, to me, uh, pollution was how clean an engine was running rather than um, how much CO2 was coming out of it. So um, the, the learnings from there, though, I was always um, looking for, you know, pollution reductions. Um, and I was also looking for ways to gain efficiencies, use less fuel, um, and uh, basically take better flight routes or phase in better so that I'd be in a glide longer instead of sitting in a holding pattern at the other end by phasing mm-hmm. up controllers and things. So um, so I was able to operate on probably about 15 to 20% less fuel than, than most pilots were operating on. Um, wow, through. that's significant. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And, you know, when, when I was a business owner, it was, it was about... Um, cost savings more than anything um, but but you're able to through through planning ahead and thinking ahead and, and being a proactive pilot you're able to achieve quite decent savings and um, and I saw this as an opportunity for airlines as well you know if there's if there's going to be a a um, 15 minute hold in the queue to take off why do you need to fire up four engines for example you only need you know one engine on a four-engine aircraft to be powering you on the ground, you can fire up the other three two minutes before takeoff and save maybe four or five tonnes of fuel. Um, There's simple things like that and and planning for the descents and things. It's a little bit of planning and thinking about um, fuel management could actually have a major impact on our environment. And I know it's still a number of years away before we have electric propulsion or hydrogen propulsion, but... I am still an engineering nut, an aviation nut, and I can't wait for the day where I can fly to visit all my favourite people and places uh, without having any impact uh, on the environment. But for now, yeah. I can offset um, what I can't reduce, and and that's all that we can do right now. 
Yeah, Dave, that is that is a fascinating story. Um, it is it is wild to think about. Yeah, because I think a lot of place, people think that the number one place where they are making a really terrible carbon impact is through flying. And the fact that you came from there and it really influenced your journey to get to the space is, is extremely inspiring. Um, last question, almost at a time, last question is, what can audience members do to support you and the Carbon Click mission? Um, I, I think the, the biggest thing is if you could uh, just subscribe to our newsletter and um, if you want to offset your life, we have subscriptions available that you can sign up to, even if it's just if you sign up and then um, leave again just to view that process. We'd love feedback, user experience feedback is really valuable for us. Um, and, you know, if you fall in love with those projects and things, what is it uh, that, that most connects you to those projects so that we can help build that better for more people in the future? That would, that would probably be the first thing that you could do. And the second thing is when you're shopping online, um, if you can submit feedback to that store, hey, we'd love to be able to offset our carbon footprint, um, could you consider carbon click? Awesome. Awesome. Dave? Thank you so much. We're out of time for today, but this has been a fascinating conversation, uh, and I am really excited to see where you and the Carbon Click uh, go in this in this space. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to our audience. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. And now, a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancas. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide uh, simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives. That's all for season one of the Green Room podcast with the rate of air. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we would love for you to drop us a note at greenroomfintech at gmail.com. We are always on the lookout for awesome entrepreneurs and thought leaders to interview and opportunities to connect with anyone interested in fintech in Southeast Asia. You can also visit emeritofear.com to get more information, join our mailing list, and just reach out to us. We hope to hear from you.